0: This is Esports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of Esports Today for September 1st, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen, here to fill you in on the latest news from the world of esports. On today's show, we see that Huck, MC, and DRG all won a StarCraft tournament this weekend, prompting us to ask ourselves what just happened?
1: We'll also be talking with Kelsey Moser from the ScoreEsports.com about the Korean League of Legends finals and what we can expect from the upcoming League of Legends 2015 World Championship. But first, we have some great news out of PAX from this
0: last weekend, where a team of young esports hopefuls from a little country called South Korea managed to win a Heroes
1: of the Storm tournament. Andrew, tell us, how plucky are these kids? <laughs> So uh, allow me to uh, translate Rob's sarcasm for anybody out there who isn't familiar with the foreboding shadow that South Korea casts over any esport they haven't conquered yet. Uh, this tournament was, I believe, one of, if not the first major international tournament that brought together the, all of the Heroes of the Storm teams uh, from the main regions of North America, Europe, and Asia. And for a while, it started to look like North America had a really good chance in this tournament. You know, the eventual second place team, uh, Tempo Storm, was an American squad. And they looked really good in their semifinal match. Uh, They had this great showing where they would get down really badly in the early game. And then they would march back with these incredible comebacks and with, you know, superior late gameplay, which is really beautiful to watch. Um, but it turned out to be this horrible deficiency once they got to the finals and the eventual champions, MVP Black, uh, really just exposed Tempo Storm and took them to task for being one dimensional. Uh, Tempo Storm... Clearly doesn't have as strong of a command over the early game as these other teams do, Uh, but they were making up for it with this amazing late game play. But once they started playing MVP Black, who was just stronger than them both in the early and the late game, Tempo Storm just got rolled over three games to zero. And so for all of us fearing the rise of South Korea in yet another game, this was a little bit chilling to see, uh, because this is MVP, which, as as Rob was alluding to, is a very famous South Korean esports organization. Uh, they show up and they just kind of dominate.
0: Yeah, you know, Tempo Storm, I think, was really good at taking advantage, so The way Heroes of the Storm works, if you don't follow it, is it's really different from other MOBAs because it has a lot of, I guess, what you could call catch-up mechanics. And they're all really dependent on the way each map works. The interesting thing about Heroes is that, unlike every other MOBA, which just has your standard tri-lane map, Heroes has unique maps each with its own game mechanics, basically. And so the dynamics from map to map in a three or five game series change a great deal. And in Heroes, it becomes really, really possible for a team that's really mastered those map dynamics to overcome weaker mechanical play. Right? So even if you're losing those early fights and those early skirmishes and the other team gets ahead on experience and hits their power spike first, you can still come back if you just sort of outplay them on the map because objectives are so important in Heroes of the Storm. Uh, but yeah, with, with Tempo Storm and MVP, I don't think Tempo even played that badly against MVP. It's just there was no there was no place for them to sort of stick the crowbar in. Right? Like, MVP was taking command of those matches at the start, but then also MVP weren't making any mistakes when it came to objective control. So, for instance, Tempestorm played a map on Tomb of the Spider Queen where they were down but they'd actually managed to win a really critical team fight against MVP. And they've been banking... In Tomb of the Spider Queen, you basically bank these gems... And they allow you to get some really powerful like boss monsters on your side... That will fight on your side uh, for a few minutes until the enemy deals with them. But you have to turn those gems in uh, at the correct time. And what Tempo were gambling on is that... They were going to be able to charge forward after this team fight... Take some objectives rotate back turn in their gems and swing the entire game their way and this is the kind of thinking that had been serving them really well throughout the tournament but before tempo could pull that trigger mvp turned in their gems and actually got the boss monster out on the map uh sooner and that was pretty much all she wrote and in, in Heroes, it's one of the really cool things that can make it a little frustrating to play, that those late-game swings are possible. But if you have a good understanding both of mechanical play and of objective play, it gets really tough to
1: uh, turn a match around. Right, and that was this nice little moment where we got to see MVP Black, MVP Black really kind of completely outplay, or out, at least outthink, um Tempo Storm, because what had happened there in that exact circumstance is that MVP Black knew that that was the play that Tempo Storm was going for, and they sent one player over to just tick over the last counter of their gem counter uh, and steal that boss monster that you were talking about, and so they knew exactly what they're doing, and they sent basically like a secret agent over there to steal that strategy from them, and it was like they knew that Tempo Storm was winding up for this big roundhouse kick of a finish. And they just like tapped them in the throat and then the fight was over. It was really brilliant to watch in a lot of ways. And like that thing that you had talked about earlier where Temple Storm was looking for that one little, you know, chink in the armor uh to to turn the game around. It, it, it seems a whole lot like how the rest of Korea plays those other games. That's what's kind of scary about it, is that North American players and teams are used to being able to capitalize off of mistakes and not used to necessarily forcing their opponents to make mistakes. Uh, And I think that that is going going to be scary for for other teams going forward to see that South Korea does have this sort of iron grip on the game and iron understanding of how the game actually works.
0: That's a really good point. I think that's that's a very fair characterization of the way... Uh, Western regions do tend to play a lot of MOBAs, uh, certainly outside Dota, that there is this expectation that eventually your opponent will leave an opening. And when you watch like Chinese teams, when you watch Korean teams play MOBAs, that expectation doesn't really exist. And so it becomes much more about knowing how to maneuver to produce those exact opportunities you were talking about, and Tempo weren't able to do it, and neither were Team Liquid, who also fielded a very strong team there, and for a while looked like they were going to be able to mount a serious challenge against MVP. So for instance, Team Liquid did very, very well on Dragonshire, which is probably one of the simpler maps in Heroes of the Storm, where you can basically have one of your characters t- turn into uh, a, a super unit, uh, the, the Dragon Knight. And you can use that, whoever controls the Dragon Knight can use that to simply push their way through. So Team Liquid managed to get momentum going, and it was an interesting case of, that's a map where if you have momentum on your side, it's actually very hard to turn things around. And Team Liquid were actually out fighting uh, MVP, I would say, on that map. But in the rest of that series, in this case, it was... MVP that actually had the better the better map understanding, and they controlled objectives so much more effectively in in the later maps, particularly Sky Temple, where uh, you know if you don't control the the objectives on Sky Temple, it's pretty much game over. It's actually one of my complaints against that map is that that thing swings so hard if you don't control the uh, the towers at top and bottom because they will simply nuke all your all your defensive turrets and walls, and that is extremely deadly the way heroes of the storm works
1: yeah it is a really interesting map because um that is in in a nutshell exactly what i love about heroes of the storm though because it's it's all about objectives there is no you know ramp up phase or anything like that it's from from the word go there is team fighting and they're fighting over objectives and so that map kind of simplifies that and says you know don't ignore this at, at all like you have to pay attention completely to the to what's going on here
0: yeah, and I do like that there's always ways to get something done even if your team is weaker and you're behind on experience. You can go out on the map and get mercenaries on your side and use those to sort of uh project, you know, lane pressure whereas other MOBAs, I think there's a death spiral problem that makes games get fairly boring fairly early if they start to tilt one way or another. So, you know, I think I think Heroes of the Storm has a lot of promise as an esport, but I am curious what you thought of the presentation, because I did find it and I play the game. I still found it harder to follow watching this uh tournament than a lot of other MOBAs.
1: Uh yeah, it was it was an average tournament, I would say. Like it's kind of one of those things where we've been so deeply spoiled by some of the uh, production values that have come up uh, over the last two to three years with the the LCS and with the international and with, uh, you know, even what what Blizzard's been able to do with the StarCraft II tournaments. Um, We're not used to seeing these tournaments that look like they're from 2012 or so. Um, But, you know, we'll be checking in more with Tears of the Storm on the road to BlizzCon this November. Uh, But right now, we've got a lot going on in the rest of the mobile world with League of Legends and the North American League of Legends qualifier, the Chinese championship, and the Korean final. And we'll be
0: talking about the NA regional qualifier a bit later in the show, but right now, to help us break down the Chinese and Korean finals, I chatted with someone who follows those scenes a little more closely than I do. Last weekend, LGD Gaming bested Chao for the LPL title, while this last weekend saw a classic telecom war final between SK Telecom and KT Rolster, in which SK Telecom absolutely crushed KT Rolster in three straight games. On the other side of the world, the regional finals for Europe and North America determined which LCS teams would get the final playoff spots at the League of Legends World Championship. To help us put all of this into context and to get up to speed on what we'll be seeing when China and Korea clash with the Western LCS divisions, we've asked the SCORE esports writer Kelsey Moser to unpack this weekend's results and make some sense out of them. Kelsey, thanks for joining us.
2: Uh, No problem. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, now, I know you're renowned for being an expert on the Chinese League of Legends scene, and I want to get th- to that in a moment. But first, I wanted to ask about this weekend's Korean final, where we saw SK Telecom just hammer KT Rolster. Uh, I think those of us who remember the absolute dominance of the... Uh, was it the Season 3 SK Telecom squad? Uh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I when I see When I see a final like this happen in Korea, I look at this result and I ask myself if history is about to repeat... Was this weekend's result an oddity or a sign that SK Telecom is once again outclassing the rest of the league playing world?
2: Um, I think for sure they're definitely on top of Korea. I expected it to not be so close initially when I was talking about it, but I know Monte Cristo, who casts the region, he thought it would be a little bit closer, so I modulated my expectations somewhat. Um, I think KT is very good in the early game but they can't really figure out what to do in some instances in the mid game afterwards and i think sk telecoms can really really take advantage of that to just snowball their lanes really well and take advantage of that i also think the jungle talent in korea is a little bit weak so we have always seen bengi being poked fun of in the past um and compared to junglers like kakao and dandy in a disparaging light he is probably the best jungler in korea right now except for um jungler chaser who janeir isn't even in the right running really so he can kind of control the situation and the top winners in that matchup if the jungler gets them going they can do really well but they have some trouble playing from behind so i think that that was definitely a huge advantage that sk telecom had here as well as of course faker
0: right now one of the big stories this year was that major Chinese organizations imported a lot of big-name Korean stars at the end of last season. Uh, a lot of critics of these moves were saying that China as a region seemed to be adopting an if you can not beat them, buy 'em" buy Uh approach. How important have those Korean acquisitions proved to be for the Chinese scene? Does Korea still produce better star players on average than China, or is something more complicated happening?
2: I think... We are seeing a general higher level of talent in China right now because we had a lot of talented Chinese players and now the Korean players have been imported. And some of the organizations that I've talked to have said one of the biggest influences that the Koreans coming over has had has been the Korean ethic and the attitude towards practicing. So a lot of the Chinese players who already had some talent have kind of Ramped up to the way the koreans approach individual practice on their team and they take cues from their teammates So you see a lot more teams have so you see the top teams have really really well-rounded talent Um, whereas sk telecom has kind of SK telecom and other korean teams have infrastructure behind them. You see fewer Scandals like there have been a lot of big chinese scandals lately. It's just much more organized. So they have sort of an, uh, a hierarchical approach that makes their practice and a, a bunch of other things efficient in Korea. But overall, I think we see like there are some holes left behind. For example, I think Ku, which they're now going to the world championship from Korea as the second seed because of the points factor. Um, Ku are in a position where they might not have the highest skill ceiling, but their drafting is really strong. Um, they have an ability to abuse some mid game shot calling weaknesses in other teams. So, in those situations, you might see teams in China just like run over coup in the early game just on pure talent. And I think we did see a big, uh, even against SK Telecom and in EDG, some of the big factors was just like raw mechanical skill. I spoke to one of the Chinese casters, uh Shasha who actually casts the Korean scene in Chinese and he says that SK Telecom has a wider variety of strategies and they're more creative, but some of EDG's individual players are stronger and so this is where we see some of the disparity right now.
0: Not that I want this to be a gossip show but i am kind of curious because it's just sort of flown below my radar when you say there have been some scandals in the chinese scene like what are you talking about because i think those of us who follow like na and europe are used to like personal scene drama uh Mm -hmm. where it's a bit like middle school but i'm curious uh in china whether scandal takes on a rather different uh a different shade
2: there's a lot of the chinese dramas and scandals are bigger and they involve in some cases a lot of money and a lot of other things like that so most recently when I talk about the organizational and the structural dramas uh, LGD had their run-in with their coach Um, they spent a lot of the season a lot of the summer without a coach because their original coach BSYY had personal issues to attend to so he had to leave the team and he was kind of with the team a little bit in name but wasn't putting forward as much work so one of their top laners actually was taking over a lot of the coaching responsibilities. So you saw Acorn struggle to play a little bit relative to Flame, uh, etc. on LGD. And eventually, in about week seven, they got a Taiwanese analyst who's been with the team from there, who's been helping a lot with their drafting. And then in week 11, so the very end of the regular season, they picked up a coach named Chris, who coached uh, Starhorn Aurora Club Mm -hmm. and Royal Club Hwangsu in the World Championship previously. And he was there for about two weeks. So for week 11 and the first week of playoffs. And that was the week when they beat Edward Gaming. And after after that, Chris said, okay, I'm not going. If you would rather have a, a Korean, that's fine. I'm not going to the season five world championship. And the drama that came out was kind of that they were using home as a consultant behind the scene. Mm. And they didn't want to put it on record because, home coached Vici Gaming, but Vici Gaming fell out of the qualification tournament. Right. And so you can't have a coach of one team switch to another team just because the other team went world didn't make worlds. That's against the right policy. So Chris was accused of wanting to leave because of the money. And if you look at the chat logs, he brings up money a lot, so that probably had a lot to do with it. Um but home he, he insisted that home was the reason, that his style didn't really mesh with home, so he exposed that even though LGD didn't want him to. So you, my take on the situation is almost that you had a team that did well without coaches for most of the season, and suddenly they qualify for Worlds and everyone wants on board, right? Yeah. Uh, but... Again, you see some of the disorganization within the Chinese structures relative to Korean scenes. You don't hear about these kinds of dramas. If they happen, they at least are tidy enough to keep them under the radar, right? So
0: So one of the things that was really striking to me during the LPL finals in China was that it just wasn't the same game i'm used to seeing out of europe and america it was far less of a bloodbath to be honest uh the kill counts were fairly low despite there being a fair amount of fighting around objectives and so i guess i'm wondering like is that reflective of lpl as a whole and what accounts for that difference
2: i think it depends game to game in in some of the European games, you will see really low kill counts where, like the 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 Origin versus FNC, the first game where Origin was rotating really well around Fnatic, um, and they just took these objectives, and I think the kill count ended up being like single digit for both teams. But in this particular final, you had LGD who are, tend to be a more rotation-based team in that sense, and then Chaogu who like to stall out a bit more and then pick their fights actually never not really something that i've necessarily heard but i do think i I think in general lpl is still pretty bloody and they do tend to still fight a lot but i think it has changed over this year in particular where they're much more focused on taking individual trades where they're willing to give up something if they can get something back later so they will give up like a kill here if they think they can get an objective on the other side of the map or they'll um just and they've gotten much better about vision, so you see less instances where someone is just caught out, for example at m s i uh, Mako, who was the support for Edward Gaming. I looked at the word stats there because it's really hard to get China word stats because they don't publish their data like they do with North America, Europe um and Korea. But if you look at those word stats, he actually awarded much more from behind, which I thought was very unique like in games where edward gaming were behind he had like 20 or so words up on wolf sk telecoms support so the warding situation is interesting so when i when i saw that statistic i started noticing more and more that like defensive ward counts go up they funnel more gold into some of their supports when they're behind um, they just try to minimize losses in those situations a lot more than they used to
0: so i feel like every year uh EU and NA fans go into Worlds with this kind of grim resignation that this is the time of year when you discover yet again that your division is the minor leagues compared to China and Korea. Do you think that's going to happen again this year? And I guess more particularly because it's been one of the great stories of LCS this year, is
2: Fnatic at least the real deal? I think Fnatic can do well against teams that aren't necessarily the top teams. So when I say that, I mean, I think Fnatic can put up a good fight against maybe even kt or ku but not necessarily sk telecom or edward gaming or LGD gaming um i think the third c chinese team whoever that ends up being see i'm assuming the second c chinese team will be do We still don't know that for sure it was uh it's really a little unexpected them for them to do as poorly in playoffs as they were so <laughs> despite there being some statements saying that EDG might not do as well, like their support has come forward and said, we're not doing well right now. We might not make Worlds. They're still pretty far above some of the other teams in their region, so it would be very strange to me if they don't get the second seed. But third seed Chinese team, maybe KT and Ku, I think Fnatic can do decently well. I think they got a little bit surprised by Origin, and Fnatic have been in a situation where a lot of their weaknesses maybe are a little bit obvious like they're they have a little gaps in some of their early game um that i think that some more early aggressive chinese teams and sk telecom who are are pretty and even kt who are pretty aggressive early could take advantage of
0: i'm curious what happened what has happened with edg because i remember that at mid-season invitational there was kind of a foregone conclusion uh feeling around this team that they were going to be a Worlds contender, that, you know, the, that the road to Worlds for them was fairly clear from uh, Midseason Invitational. What happened with EDG that they're struggling now?
2: I would say that the final between SK Telecom and EDG was still really close. So you had the sense that both these teams would go back and they continue to improve. And so we'd see an even different clash at Worlds. Uh, for me, the game against LGD, I actually think the way LGD manipulates the min- sidewaves is allows them to make more mistakes. I think this year in League of Legends in general, then compared to some of the powerhouse Korean teams last year, we're seeing teams make a lot more mistakes. And so if you have a team that can manipulate minion control so that its apps keeps flowing in their favor, you can afford to make more mistakes because you can't take objectives, right? If someone is trying to push against your minions um so i think that lgd for me i had this idea that despite their internal problems they would get it together in the long run and they'd be the better chinese team and they could be favorites even to win worlds but so for me the fact that they beat edg you could kind of see happening i didn't expect it to happen in playoffs i expected it to happen maybe at worlds um and well they the 3 0 was really unexpected, so we saw in that game the drafting was really uncharacteristic of EDG. They didn't respond well in creating their compositions, some of the um LeBlanc and Leeson focused compositions didn't make any sense. They didn't LGD countered them really well. They still had strong early games in two of their games against EDG, but then uh LGD had really good comebacks and were able to force mistakes that EDG. Doesn't typically make around team fights. It looked like there was some disorganization in their communication and just that they were not prepared in the drafting phase. So, this could be a sign of a deeper problem, but you can also identify and say, this isn't something we normally see from this team, but it's a very obvious mistake that they can work on correcting in the two week period. So, either they'll just implode because they won't be able to fix their problems, or this will just be a, a hiccup because it it was like their loss to lgd and then their loss to ig which also they played ig more than any other team in china um and ig i think figured some things out about them so uh, those were both kind of atypical and they happened over the period of two days so we could either remember it as just a hiccup in edg's history or it will end up being something larger we'll find out i guess at regionals
0: Great. Kelsey, thanks so much for joining us. You can follow Kelsey on Twitter at Karen Moser, K-A-R-O-N-M-O-S-E-R.
1: Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. But before we move on from from League of Legends, Rob, you know, explain to me what happened with Cloud9 this weekend. I was busy over at the Penny Arcade Expo, so I I didn't get to actually see the games, but haven't they been, you know, kind of bad? You know... There are a lot of
0: people who are going to be trying to figure out what happened with Cloud9 this weekend at the North American Regional Finals. Not least the players and staff of gravity team impulse and team liquid on both Saturday and Sunday, we saw the same fla- flawed cloud nine team that we saw all season. Uh, they were making strange champion picks that kind of flew in the face of what 's become conventional wisdom over this season, and they were getting beaten pretty badly. They looked like you know stick a fork in them they were done, uh, but on both days with their you know kind of their entire year on the line. They just turned it on like we haven't seen in ages. Uh, Do you remember that ridiculous Rocket League finale we talked about the other week? Uh, Right, yeah. (laughs) This this was kind of like Cloud9 doing that, just standing on their heads (laughs) uh, for the last three games of their series against Gravity and Impulse. And they got back-to-back reverse sweeps. So that set them up against Team Liquid for a best-of-five to see who would actually move on to Worlds, and that series wasn't even close. Cloud9 put the hammer to Liquid, which was actually kind of sad to see. Uh, Liquid has a history of this happening, both as Team Liquid and under their former name, Curse, and they have this history of getting denied right at the finish line, and it happened again here. And they were really crushed, particularly this player Piglet, who is a former SK Telecom champion. It was like watching five guys all find out that their like family dog was dead all at
1: the same time. (laughs) So I mean so how does Cloud9 end up turning this around? Because they were in pretty serious disarray right like it, it's not a good thing to get really far down in the in the early se- series and it's kind of indicative of, of a team that's struggling
0: yeah and there was a point earlier this season where it looked like cloud nine might actually be relegated uh and you know we'll talk about this more as we get closer to worlds but you know long story short i think cloud nine are still in disarray what happened to them this season is that they tried to transition to sort of a new era of leadership uh their longtime captain high lamb retired because he was having trouble playing the mid lane position, uh, just due, I think, to some, to, to some wrist issues. And so the captaincy kind of devolved on their long-term jungler, Mateos, uh, who's widely regarded as one of the best junglers in North America. But, you know, it was a strange thing. It was a team that on paper should have been better, but in practice was really, really bad. And it seemed like the atmosphere was a little toxic around that team. So you have a uh, high come back and replace Medios in the jungle, which is the less mechanically demanding position. It's easier to play if you might have some like hand problems. And he sort of just barely saved the team from uh, relegation, got them across that finish line. And then I think that's all he really signed up to do but they had to play to see if they could go to Worlds. And it's it's kind of this weird like Brett Favre in reverse. Like, high is the guy who just wants to go. And I I still got that impression even after he beat Team Liquid. He still sounds like a guy who's like almost being held hostage by this. He's ready to move on from League, but this is his last <laughs> ride with his old gang. And uh, he's going to try to take him as, as far as he can get him. And so, you know, I, I think Cloud9 still have succession problems. And I think it's a problem when you've got a captain that is apparently critical to making the entire team work, and he wants to go. So I don't think the prospects at Worlds are brilliant, but it's certainly an interesting story to see all this
1: shake out around High Well, We'll see if Hai, uh, you know stays in retirement for good this time, or if, if Worlds is going to be his, his final ride. Uh, but MOBAs weren't the only esports action going on this week. We also saw that uh, StarCraft II... Uh, as fourth their fourth Pro League season wrap up and as we now look forward to the playoffs and the eventual finals, uh, we saw that KT Rolster held on for dear life to their playoff spot. Uh, and underdog team Sabinu uh, got saved from elimination because another team took out their competition. Uh, but as we look forward to the playoffs for Pro League, the sort of elephant in the room is whether anybody has even a remote chance of beating SK Telecom. Uh, in the last two seasons of Pro League, they've only lost one series. They're 13-1. and one. You know, this is the New York Yankees of StarCraft II. Uh, they've got this absurd lineup of talent, uh, and they're completely dominating right now. Uh, so, you know, my heart is kind of split here because in my bones I want to root for this team Sabinu uh, because they've got just a great team you know it's not their individual talent that raises them up uh, but the way they play together in the pro league system that allows them to keep advancing and to sort of scrape together a valid season with underrated players uh, in my in my mind it would be beautiful to watch them you know, you work the system and be able to win using the pro league system of, of training to play against specific other players uh, and beating out more in a more individually talented team. Uh, but on the other hand, this is what StarCraft wants me to do. It wants me to root for the underdog so that it can rip out my heart again. Uh, so I feel like I've got to root for SK Telecom just to like protect myself. You know, I can't get hurt again, Rob. I can't. See, as as a product of Chicago sports
0: fandom, like this is what <laughs> I live for, and I think it's really telling that like the first player I really latched onto in Starcraft was Marine King, right? Because like talk right. about a player where you were always waiting for the other shoe to drop, uh, it was it was <laughs> Marine King, but. You know, it's, it, Pro League is in this, is in this interesting place. because uh, So Sabino got through to the round playoffs, and they've done a lot better than I think a lot of people thought they would. When they started the season, they were the StarTail team. Uh, they were on their last legs in terms of financing. Uh, they were clearly in disarray. They were even eliminated from a playoff round because their car got stuck in traffic so you had the entire like and and by the way i think they were the first seed that season uh so so they they'd they'd really done well in pro league and then uh, they're on their way to the studio and they just mistimed their route and end up forfeiting the entire round uh because they couldn't get to the final so like it's it's cool to see spinu step in with sponsorship and sort of save the team there's a lot of really popular teams there my guy drg is, is part of the Sabinu team, and he's actually really come back into his own as a pro league player. Uh, you've got Bomber there. So there's there's a lot of reasons to sort of be high on uh, Sabinu or Sabenu, but the fact is that at this point, you know, you've got kind of the usual suspects moving on to the season playoffs. So it's this weird thing where we've got kind of a meaningless round four playoffs uh, happening right now uh, where teams are going to be playing for a little bit of prestige. But... Uh, because of the way things shook out this, this last round, uh, KT Rolster will be advancing uh, in the fourth spot for the season playoffs and will have a chance, at least, of defending their title. But I- I'm with you, honestly. I don't see anyone taking down uh, SK Telecom. I think they're stronger than they were last year, even. And it's it's an interesting thing I think we're seeing in Korea right now because... A lot of other teams star players like, uh, you know, Jin air has a few players that are out of this world in terms of talent. And they've been able to count on them for, for ages to, to do uh, really well in pro league. That's just not happening all of a sudden. And so I feel like SK kind of has everyone firing on all cylinders and the only people who could have threatened them just don't really have together right now. So, you know, it's, It's been an interesting season of Pro League, but I feel like
1: in terms of the
0: overall winner, it's still not really in doubt.
1: You know, but the end of the Pro League season wasn't the only StarCraft going on this week. We also had a relatively small but very interesting Red Bull Qualifier Tournament uh, that was interesting for two reasons. First, they were playing Legacy of the Void, the new expansion for StarCraft that no other tournament is using yet. Uh, so we got our first look at that. Uh, but it was also using Legacy of the Void's Archon mode, which allows two players to control the same team and sort of split their duties. Uh, so Rob, you know, this wasn't the climax of the tournament, it was just the qualifier for the main event. Uh, you know, But how did it go? Uh, there was almost too many interesting things happening in just one tournament.
0: Yeah, so, and the first interesting thing actually happened before the tournament even began, which was the latest Legacy of the Void Balance patch uh, basically fired a torpedo into Terran. And it wasn't just that, though, it was a really radical patch if you follow StarCraft 2 at all. Um, They got rid of a lot of, like, sacred cow mechanics that have been untouchable since, uh, you know, Wings of Liberty. And all at once, they're like, no, we're going to redefine how these races play. And so they got rid of Chrono Boost uh, for Protoss, which allows uh, buildings to sort of build units or build upgrades faster. They got rid of the uh, Zerg macro mechanics, the the larval inject uh, that the Queen does, which allows Zerg to sort of pump out more units. But... To compensate for that, they also get rid of the Terran Mule. And this is where, like... You know, if I were a player competing in this tournament, particularly Terran, I would kind of want to scream. Because this happened, like, five days before this tournament begins. Blizzard drops this patch. And it's kind of crazy to me that Blizzard does this, right? Because, like, how many major tournaments are happening for Legacy of the Void right now? Not many. So I'm kind of baffled as to why you'd drop a radical patch that's going to clearly kind of screw over some guys who've been competing for months for this tournament. And the issue is they got rid of the mule for Terran, and the mule is this unit that comes down and harvests minerals super quickly... And it's basically the reason that there's an entire line of play that's open to Terran, uh, the bio route, where instead of building the tankier and more expensive mechanical units, you build lots of infantry, which are basically uh, powered just by minerals. You buy them with minerals. When you get rid of the mule, you're not doing the same thing. You're You're not eliminating a little bit of efficiency, the way you are with Protoss and Zerg. You are cutting into Terran's ability to execute... I would say like fully half of their strategies and that really harmed Terran uh, in this tournament and they got gutted. So that was, that was a frustration, Uh, but that aside, there were still a lot of really, really great games. And I would say it was a Terran team that was actually one of the most entertaining, which was QXC and Beastie Cutie uh, who have been practicing legacy of the void Terran a lot in Archon mode, and we're really showing what's possible in Archon mode. The cool thing about Archon is that, you know, if you watch StarCraft, we've been watching it for years now, it has a pace that we're used to, right? Like, if there's a little bit of skirmishing on the map, we know there's gonna be a a moment where both players sort of have to let the skirmish die off so they can go and focus on rebuilding, uh, expanding, all that stuff. That's kind of the ebb and flow of a StarCraft match. Archon gets really interesting because the fighting need never stop. It's easy for two guys to, you know, flick back and, you know, do the macro stuff they need to be doing and produ- producing the units. And then go right back out on the map and focus on microing combat troops. And so it was really interesting to see, like, Beastie Cutie and Huck and MC... Taking full advantage of these these mechanics where you have multiple drops happening at once. You have massive fights with, you know, entire armies being thrown away. But instead of that being an all-in, someone is back at base expanding across the map. And so even as entire armies died off, it's being replaced almost instantaneously. And that's just stuff you don't see in, like, one-on-one. And so it was really
1: exciting to see in uh, this tournament. Yeah, and you know, I just wanted to add one more thing. As a Terran player, I have to add with the whole thing with the mules. is it, It's actually it's actually worse than just 50% of the Terran strategies. I actually think it's essentially 100% of the Terran strategies. Because you, I mean, you talked about the way that bio works, uh, and it's heavily dependent on the mule in the early game. But the mech strategy, the other major strategy for Terrans right now, is heavily dependent on mules in the late game. So what you'll do as a Terran player is you'll build up the, this mech army as, as large as you can until you get unit capped. And then you'll start trading out your workers. You'll, you'll get rid of your SCVs. And then you can build an, un, enough That's command really good centers point. to use mules to essentially... Uh, replace all of your your workers, and so that your mech army can get even larger, can get larger than any other uh, any other race can build their army, and it essentially becomes unstoppable. And so that's a key tenet, and I think that's actually the reason why they decided to get rid of the mule, uh, is because it was turning Terran into this late game monster force that wasn't even all that interesting to watch or to play. It just it just guaranteed you were going to play this game that lasted 50 minutes against a slow clockwork Terran mech army
0: you know but and this is i think what's frustrating is i get that patch for heart of the swarm but in legacy of the void i would say Terran got a lot more dynamic and more exciting and so it was kind of this weird like okay you're closing the barn door after the horse has been bolted for about four years now (laughs) uh so you know and now you finally fixed a lot of the issues with the the mech lines of play and this is what you do and you know, I was talking to a lot of the a lot of the guys competing in the tournament, including like Protoss and Zerk, who who benefited from this change, and the the reaction was pretty negative about this patch. Uh, MC was pretty blunt. He said it's a stupid patch, <laughs> uh, and the Axiom Protoss uh, crank was was saying that he didn't he didn't get the change because, you know. Maybe you could argue maybe the game is becoming a little easier by getting rid of these macro mechanics, but there's so much ma- uh, micro now with the new units that it's 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 kind of meaningless. And so it's really like it's not clear what was really gained with these changes. Uh, and obviously, Blizzard is going to keep balancing this a lot before release. But to have sort of this
1: really experimental patch drop on the eve of a tournament was was a little bit frustrating. But, you know, this is kind of what, what pro gamers would say, right? Like, pro gamers hate change. They hate patches. They just want the game to be exactly what they know. They don't want any surprises. And it's been a problem for StarCraft over the years because they put pressure on Blizzard to not change the game and to keep the map pool really steady and to, and to use these maps that are they're really standard and nothing crazy goes on. And that's one of the complaints people have about StarCraft Two uh, compared to Brood Wars, that not, things aren't dyna- as dynamic as they used to be. Um, and so it makes sense to me that... that players would be horribly frustrated with this change uh, right before the beginning. But I, I am, you called them sacred cows, these mechanics earlier. Uh, they called them sacred cows, and, I, and I would, I'm so excited for Blizzard to finally be, you know, disrespecting those sacred cows and throwing those mechanics out the window to, in order to make the best game that they think it can be. You know, we've played this game of StarCraft II for five years now, and I'm totally ready to see them kind of mess with the formula and see if they can make it a better game
0: yeah that's a really good point point. and honestly again i've been playing legacy of the weight a little bit i'm having more fun with it than i've had since uh you know early wings of liberty so i i am i am hopeful for the overall direction of, of these changes i just uh hope they they refine some of these major moves they've made uh, a little more between now and release but that does it for all today's esports news so let's talk about esports tomorrow Compared to more recent weeks, this next week is fairly quiet in esports. League of Legends is pretty much on hiatus until the World Championship playoffs begin in October. Since we're already tight on time, we'll just mention a couple tournaments that we'll be paying attention to in the next week. I'm intrigued by the Gaming Paradise eSports Tournament, not least because it's sponsored by a resort company that's marketing itself to gamers, which is kind of hilarious to me. <laughs> uh, nothing like going to a beautiful seaside resort and just making sure your pings stay low uh, <laughs> while you have my ties by the pool. Uh, but they put together two surprisingly decent tournaments for this next week for both Dota 2 and CSGO, where you'll find a number of stro- Europe's stronger teams. Uh, those tournaments start on Sunday and run through the early part of next week and will stream via hit. Box. Uh, for North American CSGO fans, there's also the win-out tournament in Philly this weekend, where a large field of North American teams, including CLG Red, their Women's Counter-Strike team, will be competing for a $10,000 grand prize. That starts this Friday, September 4th, and will be streamed via
1: Azubu.tv. We'll also be watching the StarCraft 2 Code S round of 16. Uh, there's going to be a lot of StarCraft going on this week, but if you can't watch all four round of 16 groups in the in Code S, uh, we'd suggest checking out Group A, which is going to, I believe, go up the same day as this episode goes up. Um, but that's that's the only group in the Code S round of 16 that doesn't have a bunch of mirror matches in it. And in StarCraft 2, it's considered a little bit boring to watch two players of the same race play each other. Uh, so this has a lot of variety in it, but it's also because of the, uh, it... It's the group with last season's champion in it, and that, that's Reign. Uh, and so we'll be watching closely, closely to see if he's got, you know, what it takes to repeat and make another strong run in Code S. We'll be discussing these tournaments on next week's show on September 8th,
0: but that's all we have for this edition of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs Network podcast produced by Michael Hermes. You can learn more about the show and discuss esports with us in the Idle Thumbs community at our website, esports.today. We'd also love to hear your feedback and answer questions on the air, so drop us a line at questions
1: at esports.today. You can also follow us on Twitter at ES2DPodcast. If you've enjoyed Esports Today so far, please review and rate us on iTunes, which is an incredibly helpful tool for a new podcast. Uh, And share it with your friends on Twitter and Facebook. We'll be back
0: next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney, signing off.